Do you want to hear about great work happening in schools around the world? Just Schools are life-giving places that address feedback, engagement, and well-being for each student. This concept is founded on love and justice for each student. Dr. John Eckert digs deep into the current educational landscape with research, experience, and a good dose of humor and humility. Join us in the desire to do justice, love kindness, and walk with confident humility. Get inspired with stories of improvement in the profession that makes all others possible. For this week's episode of Just Schools, we are going to be talking about really the first chapter of the book, Just Teaching, uh, that is about each before all and how we move from seeing some students to seeing all students to seeing each student. And this really sets up the introduction of the book. The The introduction story that I tell is about a conversation I was having with the senior official at the U.S. Department of Ed uh, when I was there in the, I was in the Bush administration into the Obama administration. And I was discussing education policy with this very bright senior official and she made the comment to me that we needed to decomplexify policy for teachers and administrators. And it was just she and I in the meeting. And I looked at her for a minute and I asked her, do you mean simplify? And she paused for a minute to say, yeah, 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 I guess I mean that. And I said, because I don't really think decomplexify is a word, which it's not. I've looked it up since. But it was a classic bureaucratic conversation in that we've created a more complicated word for the word simplify. So the irony was not lost on me. And so that's how we introduced the book. And so when we start thinking about what it means to teach for justice and for the flourishing of each student, it really means focusing on each. Federal policy did a great job originally helping us focus on some students. Then No Child Left Behind came along and said, well, we need to attend to all students. So you're going to have to report data on all students. And my argument is, is that we actually need to focus on each student. And so that each focus is challenging for all teachers um, and is particularly challenging for beginning teachers. So I really wanted to talk to Elizabeth because she's made huge strides. She's in our master's program about to finish December 17th. She will finish uh, her master's degree through Baylor University and the master's in school leadership. She has taught in four schools in the course of three years and she's now a new mom living in Germany. So Elizabeth's joining us from Germany today. Her very newborn uh, child is about to go down for a nap. So we are wedging this into this very limited space. So really grateful that you're with us, Elizabeth. Thanks so much, John. Yeah. Teaching in uh, four schools in three years is crazy. But here we are. <laughs> and it, it's fitting. I mean, I got to know you in undergrad, and, and, and if anybody could pull it off, it's you. But I, I really wanted to start with this first question about how you started off seeing each student. That's a hard thing to do as a beginning teacher. So how did you do that as a beginning teacher? Yeah, I think as a beginning teacher, um, especially coming out of a program like um, where I went at Wheaton, um, you go out like, we got this, we're going to change the world and change all these students' lives. And you kind of get in over your head. Also, I had the privilege of working in an amazing school, um, student teaching and um, in District 200, which was just amazing. But then you get into the real world in your own classroom and it's not as easy as you once thought it was. 
I think one really important thing um, to notice each of my students is to build relationships. It is not lost on me when I don't do that, um, how I miss little things, which you'll see in a moment. But when I spend time at the beginning of the year to really um, build relations with each student, try to have them in my room in small groups for lunch or just talking to each one of them at the beginning of the day um, to know them as more than just a body in my classroom that needs to learn. Um, that's when you can focus on each student and know what they need to succeed in your classroom. Obviously, as a new teacher, you don't do this perfectly. I still don't do it perfectly. But um, one area that I majorly um, had a mishap on was I was teaching third grade and I had um, a female student. Um, I won't share her name, but um, I took a day off. I had a doctor's appointment. And so I come back the next day and my assistant principal was like, hey, Elizabeth, your student got in a fight. And I was like, what? She does not seem like a student that would get in a fight. And she's like, yeah, she got in a fight in the lunch line because a little boy was making fun of her for, you know, the fact that she has not all of her fingers. And I paused for a second and looked at my AP and I said, I'm sorry, what? What do you mean she doesn't have all her fingers? And my AP's like, you know, she doesn't have all her fingers on her left hand. To which, again, I'm like trying to rehash all the times I've talked to this student and thought, I'm pretty sure she has all her fingers. And he's reassuring me, no, 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 she does not. Go look. So then the rest of the day, I'm like walking around the classroom, trying to like peek over her shoulder or figure out a way to get kids to raise their hands. And my AP was like, yeah, you know, that's why she like puts her hands in her pockets all the time or doesn't always raise her hand or doesn't like to do things, keeps her hands on her desk. And I'm like, okay, this makes a lot of sense now. And then sure enough, by the end of the day, I do peek over her shoulder and uh, can confirm she does not have all of her fingers. She has five fingers, but they're just not all developed. And so that was a, a time that I clearly did not know um, and support each of my students in the classroom. I was focusing on the whole room of my third graders on the all aspect, but um, that is where I majorly missed that each aspect. Thankfully, that has never happened again. I do make sure that all my students have all 10 fingers, or if they don't, that I can support them in the way that they need help with. So don't do what I did. Well, that's really well said. And I will say anyone who's been a beginning teacher, if they're honest, has been in that situation where they've missed something that they really should have been paying attention to. And I would argue it's not even because we're focused on all students. As beginning teachers, we're focused on ourselves. We're yeah. trying to figure out what we're saying, what we're doing. Do we know the content? Do we have the yeah. lesson plan? Do we have we, – we aren't even seeing all students. We're not mm -hmm. even seeing some students. I mean, we're, we're missing whole gaps. I, 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 you yeah. know my uh, – you've heard my initial story of my first time I videotaped myself teaching a lesson. And I was teaching four students really well, completely oblivious to the other 28 students in a lesson that should have taken about 10 minutes that I went on for 45 minutes and just had – egregious problems, which I wrote about in the introduction to the Novice Advantage, the first mm -hmm. book I wrote, which is all a series of terrible practices that I put in place in my classroom. But there's a, a learning stance that you have when you're new where you don't feel like you have to know everything. And so mm -hmm. I feel like being honest about those areas where we miss those things and weren't the kind of teachers that we, we really could be and should be, that gives us opportunity to grow. So it's always good to have that baseline. Absolutely.
you, you now pay attention to the needs of your kids in a way that you might not have had you not yeah. made that mistake early on. So the, the second question I want to ask you about is how have administrators viewed you as a unique teacher? Because just as teachers need to be viewing each student, I think administrators need to see each teacher. So could you share a little bit about that? You've had four different schools in three yeah. years that you've been <laughs> in, how that's gone and how you've been viewed as a unique teacher. Yeah, absolutely. I've taught in two public schools and two private schools. With my husband being in the army, we move a lot. And so that just, um, it's not that I can't keep a job. (laughs) So we we move around a lot. But uh, I've had the privilege of having really amazing um, administrators support me. And I've also encountered some not so great administrators. The ones that have truly seen me as a unique educator, I feel like It allows me, I describe it as like, you can take a deep breath when you walk in your classroom. You are able to be, I'm able to be uniquely me. I'm really quirky in the classroom. We do really fun things. And my principals who have supported me in that know that when you peek into my classroom, it might look a little crazy and a little fun, but the kids are learning and actively engaged. And now in the schools that I have not been supported or not been seen as a unique educator, you feel like you're walking on pins and needles. You're kind of like looking over your shoulder. And in particular, I had an administrator in that same school where I missed my students' fingers. Um, I had a student in my class that needed significant IEP minutes um, and she wasn't receiving them. And as an educator, I was upset about that. And I knew my student needed this to succeed. She could not succeed in my classroom without these IEP minutes. They're legally binding. So I go to my administrator and I say, hey, um, what's the issue? Like, am I missing something? Have we not had this meeting? Is she new? And my administrator looked at me and said, I know what I'm doing. I'm the principal. The SPED teacher doesn't need to be focusing on that right now. You're being a millennial diva. And to that, I was shocked in that, that meeting. I waited. And that was one of those moments where it was like, no matter what I could say to this uh, administrator, I wouldn't get through because if she already saw me as a millennial diva, which as you know, John, as most people know me, I'm not as someone uh, you would type as a millennial diva. So it was really sad that I didn't feel supported as an educator, especially um, for my student. I felt like if my administrator couldn't listen to me about the needs of my students, how was I going to support my student in that way? And you could just tell that was the culture of the school. The teachers didn't trust the administrator. The administrator didn't trust the teachers. And it really changes the whole culture, um, which in turn um, hurts the students the most. So if you have a, a principal or a headmaster who sees the needs of their teachers and supports them and, and making sure that they're teaching the curriculum well, but allowing their unique personalities to come out, um, that's when students get to succeed the most. So well said. Yes, it, the fact that you are um, described as a millennial diva <laughs> is is only particularly comical to the people that know you because that's what you're one of the last people that I would describe that way. And again, you were being categorized as that for asking for a legal contract, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is what an yeah. IEP is, to be enforced. You were advocating for the needs of your students, not for your own yeah. needs, but for oh. the needs of, <laughs> of your students. So that, yeah, that's remarkable. But here, here's the thing that I love in your arc as a leader in schools. Now that I, I get to know you as an undergrad student, I've gotten to see you as a student teacher, as a teacher of record, and now as a master's student, we had capstone work that you had to do where you 
did nine performance tasks, selected three of them that gave evidence of the impact of your leadership on students, on student learning. And I was so impressed in your capstone presentation with some of the work you've done, even in the schools that you're no longer in, but the, the leadership that you did as you came alongside others, not in any kind of a top-down way, is still having an impact in those schools. So could you just talk for a couple minutes about the impact you've seen your leadership have as it relates to professional learning communities and the way that you're thinking about things in ways that maybe a school that you were in before hadn't thought about it because of the way that you've led? Absolutely. One thing that I've loved about being in Baylor's Master Program for Educational Leadership is my networking, I've been able to see other teachers in other schools and get to know teachers that are in public schools, middle schools, high schools, private schools, kind of combo schools, those hybrid schools, that when um, one of our performance tasks set out to implement a PLC, a professional learning community at our schools, I was um, one of those teachers that was at a school that didn't have active PLCs. The The closest thing you had to it, which is, I don't even consider close to being a PLC, is grade level teachers meeting together, making sure they're teaching the same thing and grading and, and being like, hey, when is our Thanksgiving party? So it was great to be able to talk to other educators about how they implement PLCs at their school, um, what has worked, what has not. Um, and all the articles that we got to read too gave really great examples of what a PLC really should be compared to what sometimes it is at schools. So um, I had the privilege of starting a PLC um, with the fourth and fifth grade team focusing on math gains in our students, which I love PLCs because it really is how can we as educators um, help our students succeed? It's not like, oh, our students aren't learning this well. Let's, I don't know, like blame the students. So um, we're really looking at data. We're looking at um, weekly data, but also we used um, our NWEA map data, which is three times a year. Um, so using that formative and summative data to really support our students well, which um, I think data could be a really stressful thing for teachers. But when you utilize it well, what's cool is these teachers that were part of the PLC were like, oh, this is not daunting. Like, this is helpful. I now know oh, my students have mastered this. We don't need to cover that more. Or, hey, this area our students need to have more work on. What can I do to focus that or bring circle us back to that while still moving forward? And now with so much, I feel like COVID really brought out a lot of great things on the internet, like technology-wise for curriculum that helped capture data um, in ways that um, teachers don't have to be spending like three hours after school trying to collect all this data, it's given to them. Um, but sometimes it's so much that we get overwhelmed. Um, but it's been cool because that PLC, they set a measurable goal. Um, they've met that and far exceeded that measurable goal at the end of the year that that teaching team has continued to work together this year. I'm not at the school this year, but um, I still keep in contact with those teachers. And um, now they're fully using this new curriculum and using that data um, and actually helping other teachers utilize that data. Um, and what was really cool is other teachers saw us working together as it wasn't this like top down thing that the principal was sitting in on or uh, like a mandated thing. It was just, Hey, I needed to do this for my grad school project. Would you do this with me? Um, and then they saw the benefit of it that other teachers watched this PLC um, grow and, and thrive that um, some other educators in the lower school decided um, to kind of 
meet together in uh, PLC to work on, they had new Craig Mill last year and how do, how do they use that to help their students succeed? So um, the fruit of that was really cool. Um, and I was able to see kind of gaps where teachers felt like they didn't have enough time in their day to teach fully um, the math curriculum or the reading curriculum because of how their schedules were built, which after collecting data on that, um, I was able to present it to my headmaster and principal. I mean, they actually tasked me with recreating the whole master schedule for the school um, for this current school year. So we kind of scrapped that old schedule, started from scratch, and we were able to give teachers um, a more solid chunks of time to teach their full math or their full reading curriculum during the day, which is really cool to be able to hear about teachers right now being like, I'm so thankful. I have whole 90 minutes before we have to go to PE instead of PE being in the middle and breaking up my reading block. So I'm thankful that the program created um, performance tasks that weren't just something I need to check off, but something that required me to work with other educators at my school because we were able to see the fruit of that continually. Love that example because you did that leadership. You led that initiative organically and other people saw it and it spread to them, not in a way that it was being required, but in a way that they saw benefit and then they adopted it. And then there were structural changes that were made to support that work. And so to me, what you did as a leader is similar to how you lead as a teacher in your classroom. And so you've always been someone in, in the chapter one decomplexified section each chapter starts with a box that basically in 20 seconds you can get the whole essence of the chapter it starts off with being genuinely curious and i feel like that's what you are both as a student and as a leader and i think great leaders are always learning and i feel like that's what you're doing and you created space for other people to learn side to learn alongside you and that space is continued even when you're not there again great leaders when they leave something they don't leave and everything falls apart they leave with people in place to lead and structures in place that can continue that. So I think also what you've done with students and now with your colleagues is you make time, especially when it's inconvenient to listen to others, to engage them with students. We talk about the two by 10 strategy where you find two minutes every day for 10 days to connect with a student on something. If you're struggling to get to know them, you have that conversation. We have to do that with administrators and and teachers as well. Mm -hmm. And then the, the next thing that you do so well is I feel like you demonstrate love for others in a way that cultivates joy. And Mm -hmm. so you kind of effervesce with this uh, enjoyment of other people and learning and doing that Mm -hmm. together. And so ultimately, that's the way the whole book wraps up, which is the idea of the Sequoia Redwood Forest, which if people have been to see those, they're over 300 feet tall, over 6,000 tons, over 2,500 years old. And so I assumed that their root systems would go way down into the ground to support that kind of weight and mass. But in the end, those redwoods have root systems that only go 6 to 12 feet deep because they create this network of support that share nutrients and connect them as a living organism in that ecosystem. And so to me, that's what I see you doing for your colleagues at the four schools you've been in. You're now doing that even in Germany for the network of leaders that you work with through Baylor. And that work continues in a way that feeds you, but also feeds those around you in support of students. And so in the end, that's what we're all called to do when we move from seeing some people to all people 
to each person. And so I really appreciate you spending time with us today, Elizabeth. Thanks for your time. And uh, it's great to be able to connect with you, even from Germany. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. This podcast is brought to you by Baylor Center for School Leadership. Watch for Dr. John Eckert's first book in the series starting in January 2023.